Fishology episode 14 on the Fish on First podcast network. Different voice if you're listening on audio, different face if you're on YouTube. Danny had to call in the wolf and I am here hosting in this place today. We have, as always, Eli Sussman, Louis Adio Weiss. We're talking Brian Hoeing, Sandy Alcantara, third time through the order. Some Is the bullpen maybe getting a little bit lucky? And then, as always, the stat head segment. Eli, Lewis, how are you guys doing? Lots to get into today. Doing yeah. good. Doing good, Kev. It is, uh, it's always better to record this. My biggest fear is when the Marlins get swept by the Braves the day after and the night after. That's, that is the worst for somebody running a Marlins site. You get overrun by all the trolls and that. So for the team to win this particular game right before we're recording this, it uh, makes my life a lot easier. And you filling in for Daniel so that we could still do the show on time. That's big appreciated, Kevin. So, uh, yeah, let's do this. Matt so, Stairs of Pitchology. <laughs> <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I think the first um, player we're going to talk about is obviously Brian Hoeing. He got the call up, I think it was Tuesday, um, and he started in place of Trevor Rogers, who is on the IL. Hoeing was having a good year in AAA. He had his highest K per nine of his career, low ERA. Really no, 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 not much to complain about. Velo was, you know, take up in Velo. It was really encouraging what we were seeing from someone like Hoeing. Uh, unfortunately, he did not have the greatest outing against the Braves, but who can blame him? It's the Braves and you're in Truist Park. He gave up four runs, two strikeouts, two walks. Lewis, how would you assess this start? And if you have anything to add on someone like Brian Hoeing, who we know Alex Carver is very high on. I thought, you know, after that first inning run he allowed, he settled in for the next couple of innings. And then, you know, the fourth inning came and things kind of fell apart a little bit. I don't I believe now he's made two big league starts in his career both against premium lineups, the Dodgers and the Braves, and he's failed to make it out of the fourth inning in either of them. But, you know, I mean, it's stuff-wise, I think the stuff look a little bit better. Um, you know, there was velocity was up on the sinker. He was throwing the chain, the curveball a little harder. Um, but the spin rate was down on a lot of his pitches. And, you know, the spin rate fell a little bit on the changeup a little bit, I think, in AAA, which may have caused some people to think that that'd be a good thing because I guess – if your changeup tends to have um, less spin, it tends to have more movement and it tends to be more effective. So I guess that's good. But, you know, I mean, he got hit around pretty hard. Um, you know, the line may not suggest it totally because it's not like he gave up seven runs. I believe it was something like four runs and three and two thirds. But again, yeah. um, you know, it's he's back in the big leagues and I guess it's just they don't want to call up Yuri Perez. So you kind of had to go to next man up. And Hoeing is a guy who 
can provide you length. I think maybe long-term he profiles more as a reliever, but we've seen this a myriad of times in pitchers early parts of their career where, you know, they're starters and be as being drafted as such. And then you just kind of see time play out and they either become relievers or they just kind of go by the wayside and sport. And I think Hoenks maybe his long-term high, highest ceiling, at least for him to stick in the big leagues is as a reliever, maybe as like a swingman type, like a stripling or a Jesse Chavez earlier in his career. But, you know, he was encouraging that he was throwing a little bit harder. He was striking guys out, wasn't walking many guys in the minors, but you know, the triple A and the big leagues are to two totally different animals. Listen, hopefully he'll get another start. Who knows? He's pending. I believe he's the probable starter for Sunday. Yeah. So we'll see if he, how he does again, but you know, um, I think there could be worse options to fill in for, you know, the likes of Johnny Cueto and, and such when Trevor Rogers, when they're hurt. But yeah. I guess, you know, it's kind of just going to be next man up um, until either of those guys come back. There's going to be a vacancy until Cueto or um, Rogers resume pitching in the big leagues. Yeah. You touched on it right there at the end. Why hoeing is, he's an important piece of this Marlins team. I don't know if people are comfortable hearing that, but Brian Hoeing is a key player for the Marlins for perhaps an extended period of time because of those two absences, Cueto and Trevor Rogers. Cueto still relatively early in his progression. It hasn't even begun a formal rehab assignment yet. And I don't think Trevor Rogers is necessarily throwing at the moment at all. So that shows you how far he's away from getting all the way built up. Both of them coming off of biceps injuries. Uh, Hoeing, as we as we speak, he is penciled in for Sunday, or I should say he is listed officially on Sunday. He's going to make at least one more start. And that's kind of why I, I brought up this idea to talk about him in the first place, because I, I think that barring a catastrophe, he's going to be making several starts for this team that has a lack of other starting depth pieces at this particular moment with him. I want to remind people as much as we saw from him last year, he only made that one start and then he got sent down and then he got moved into the bullpen. He made just that one start against the Dodgers and we know it was a disaster, but I want to note that the uptick and stuff from last year to this year is even more significant than you might think at first glance, because as a starter in that one outing last year, he was only averaging 92 on his sinker. And in this start, 94.6 so two and a half miles per hour up from where he was as a starter in the bullpen it's a lot easier for you to like give more effort and to elevate those numbers but in terms of as a starter this is a pretty significant difference from that aspect and what i have on the screen is another reminder how dependent he was on his sinker last year so he wasn't throwing it hard and yet he was throwing it all the time and it was such a terrible pitch. It was one of the very worst sinkers in all of baseball. If you look at a run value basis, we brought up run value on fishology before, you know, how many runs you give up on a pitch relative to the league average based on not just the damage that's done, but also the balls that you throw on that pitch. Overall, he just had so little success with his sinker last year. Um, and now it seems to be a better pitch because he's throwing it harder and also because he's throwing it less. You don't want to depend so much on one pitch. So his willingness to throw his slider more and the fact that his slider is improved, this is what put Hoeing on the map in the first place in 2022. It's I think it's easy to forget that at this time a year ago, he got off to another great start in the minors. That was with double A. So he earned his yeah. promotion after a few hot starts. And a big reason why he got off to that start is because of that slider. He spent that previous offseason really fine-tuning it, getting extra late movement on it. The as Kevin noted, 
the, what we were seeing in AAA from him this year, all the strikeouts, I wouldn't say that's all about the fastball velocity. I think that's equal measures between the fastball velo and the improvement of his slider. Hoeing a long look, and the 0-2 pitch. Got him to chase, and that'll complete the inning. In this start against the Braves, he threw it almost 50-50 between those two pitches. Um, barely even used his changeup. So we're going to need a bigger sample. Yeah, we're going to need a bigger sample to see exactly who he is, if he's willing to use that changeup more often. It did surprise me how short his outing was, that they pulled him at about 65 pitches instead of fully stretching him out as a starter. That's going to be a bigger test against the Cubs. It's not only how he does against that opponent, but also if they do give him that leash to go a third time through the lineup with hoeing. So I don't think the the upside is all that exciting, but I am a little more confident in him than the final line he had against the Braves would suggest. Any anything else you want to add to that, Lewis? Any stat that may you know stick out when it comes to holding if it's minor league stat or in his first start of twenty twenty three? No, I mean I've you know in in my myriad of this, in the many discussions I've had with Alex Carver, who uh, we as we we know affectionately as fish on for, fish on the farm. Marlins Miners on Twitter, um, you know, Hoeing's ceiling is that of a guy who's just going to throw a lot of strikes. I mean, if you look at his walk rates in the minor leagues, he's never been a guy to really possess extended periods of not knowing where the ball is going, and that's a good thing. But I guess it's kind of like Braxton Garrett in a sense where, like, Garrett is – and that's a guy I'm high on, although I've noted several times I have very measured and tapered down and tampered expectations with him because of the stuff – um, he throws a lot of strikes, so he'll give up a lot of hits. And Hoeing's whip suggests that in the minor leagues. Um, he's generally like a 1-3, one, 1-4 one, one whip guy. And, I, and again, those guys who do that while throwing a lot of strikes do it because they're throwing a lot of strikes, essentially. They, they're giving up a lot of hits. And I think like that's the kind of guy that Hoeing's going to be. He's like your seventh or eighth starter on a team. Uh, and, you know, realistically that's just now but long term i think he's more of a reliever like eli said i don't think you can expect much but whatever he does give you a positive value is a plus and again i think that's just kind of the mindset you have to have with a guy like that because he wasn't a hype prospect the minor league numbers don't wow you but he's a you know he is what we are and he's a big league pitcher and he's among the lower end of that spectrum but he he is still one so Again, whatever he gives you a positive note, I think is a plus. I don't, you know, there. I don't think there is much more to really say about that. But you know, you know, I wish him the best. Hopefully, he continues to do well as he gets more opportunities. Something I wanted to add about Hoeing is that just look at the teams he's faced. He's faced the Dodgers, who I think at the time were already over 100 wins. That's a very good lineup. And then you face the Braves which is another really good lineup of Matt Olson, Acuna, Albies. So. Not that I'm saying he should, you know, he should be dominating these guys, but Calvin give him a little leeway. Now he's going up against the Chicago team, which is a good Chicago team, but it's not what you know. It's not the Dodgers and the Braves that we saw last year. And I think now we can move on to Sandy, who you guys were talking about off camera before we started filming that he's had his troubles in the third time through the order. He's having, uh, you know, kind of a, a struggle this year. <laughs> There's just no other way to say it. he has a 5.04 ERA. Thankfully, his FIP is at a 3.80, which kind of goes to tell you how much he doesn't really really need to rely on how much the defense behind him is really kind of screwing up for him and himself. He had a mental error in that Arizona game where he dropped the ball. And he's and, you know, we saw the Brian De La Cruz error in that Arizona start again. Um, you know, 
putting up a low K per nine. And he, he just hasn't looked like himself, Lewis. So what can you say about seeing him? Then if you want to get into what his stats are in that third time through the order and just what goes, what issues have you seen with Sandy thus far? Yeah, so I'll let Eli seg into the third time through the order, but I think the a lot of the concerns I'm having with him are just, you know, um, the expected stats are just terrible on multiple offerings. So I was talking to you guys earlier today before we were uh, doing some pre-show planning, and, you know, Sandy Sinker last year was excellent, and we know that because it was, you know, his calling card. It was a guy who threw 98 and induced so much weak contact because he was a heavy ground ball guy. Now, this year, it's not good. So, hitters are hitting 275. You know, you can still be a big league pitcher and, you know, allow a 260-plus batting average and still be successful. We saw Andy Pettit, I believe, hitters hit 269 for their career off of him. But the expected stats suggest it's worse. Expected batting average on the, on the sinker, 350. A 500 slug, a 615 expected slug. And then you transition over to the changeup. Hitters are hitting 296 with an expected slug of 437. Not terrible. But then you look at the exit velocity and you see that the uh, overall, his average exit velocity against him is the highest it's been in about three or four years. So you can kind of see like, okay, like this is five starts and like it's a long season, as we like to say. And, you know, how much do we buy into small sample size? But five starts is pretty much a month's worth of pitching for a pitcher. That can make or break a season when it comes to several different things when you're you know, evaluating um, something like that. But then you look at the fact that his changeup also has an oddly enough, like it's all or nothing. It's kind of like the Joey Gallo of pitches right now. And I, and this is what I mean when I say that it's got a 36.4% put away rate. So he's able to like use it as like a strikeout pitch. But again, with the numbers that I just noted, hitters are still doing damage on it when they are touching it. And like, you know, they're hitting the ball 91 miles an hour off of him. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, then you look like, look at where that pitch ranks. Like, I believe there's about 50 or so, 52 pitchers who have thrown at least, um, this is like 25 plate appearances ending on, like, we'll go back to the sinker. It's got the lowest whiff rate in the majors among any pitcher with at least 25 plate appearances ending on the sinker, 8.3%. He's not a strikeout pitcher. We understand that. But as you noted, Kevin, his strikeout rate is down. He's 7.7 Ks per nine. And one thing we kind of lauded a little bit was in 2020 in that COVID shortened season, though it was just six starts, his strikeout rate gradually increased. And then he kind of kept yep. it around eight for the last couple of years. You know, the difference between 8.1 Ks per nine and 7.7 is five or six strikeouts here and there, depending on the volume of innings you're pitching. But when it's five starts and he's, you know, albeit we've, like you noted, he is being, he has been a little unlucky by what his fifth to ERA ratio suggests. And then you see the whip is a lot more respectable. It's one, one, five. Um, the hits per nine are still good at 7.7 7 per nine. You know, it's about a hit more than what he allowed last year. You still look at the total body of work and you think this has to level out at some point, but like, is the leveling out like what we kind of saw in the years prior where he's like, pitching to like a mid threes ERA. That's what I think realistically. I think, you know, a lot of pitchers and even players in general in most sports, they'll have one career year that's far and above away better than anything they ever did. And then you kind of just see some means of regression if you're not, you know, unless you're an all-time great. 
and you continue to get better and you just or sustain the level of performance. But I think, you know, like and I said it before the season, Sandy's defense behind him, and the Marlins don't have the best defense, though there are some guys that I think we've touched on in other streams that have surprised us. Like Arise, I think, has played a competent second base at least. Yeah. Um, the defense overall, though, doesn't help him. And like a lot of the underlying metrics suggest that. But yeah, like his changeup and his sinker both have plus two run values. That's not good. Anything above zero is not good. Anything at zero is average and below you kind of get the gist. But he's just not, you know, he there he does look different. The last thing I'll add before I let you go to, go to you, Eli, is the fly ball rate is up. Mm-hmm. Like if you looked at his numbers previously, if you peruse baseball reference or fan graphs, you'll see that Sandy percent tends to allow um tends to have a fly ball rate that hovers between about 18 and 21%. This year it's up to 27.8. Now he's only given up, I believe, four home runs, so it hasn't bit him that much. But again, you can't expect something like that to sustain itself forever, where you know a quarter of the fly balls he's hitting aren't gonna be home runs. I mean, he's still gonna give up, he's gonna probably run into a fair share of um, more home runs here and there if he if stuff doesn't level out. But I don't know. It's just – it's definitely very strange to, like, see the kind of season he's having because, it, like, you, he was so great last year. And, again, we've seen guys win Cy Young Awards and then they regress the following season. I mean, to list guys would be just, like, word salad. So I won't even do it. But um, he, he, he definitely looks different. Um, I don't know why, but he's still going deep into games. We obviously saw him for the complete game – earlier in the, this year it was against Minnesota. And then he just kind of has been incredibly inconsistent since. And even yesterday he started off well. And then in the sixth inning, you know, he kind of fell apart. Biceps tendonitis. Is that a reason? I don't know. Isaac Azut who covered in Atlanta yesterday said that Sandy maybe had that long sit down where the Marlins scored a couple of runs in the top half of the sixth. And then maybe that affected him somewhat. And Sandy was, self-effacing enough to say that maybe there's some um, merit to that, but I don't know. Like he, it's again, he's just kind of looks a little bit different so far this year, but again, I have confidence in him. He's so, she's such a smart guy. I think it'll, it'll work itself out in some way, but I think we can already say that like 2022 probably won't happen this year. Well, one thing is going back to several of the points that you mentioned about what looks different. And I want to give credit to Marlins Fishbag. This is a Japanese account that does great Marlins analysis. Maybe we'll have him on a podcast in the future because I think he speaks English. And so he put out a very long thread a few days ago about Sandy, I think right before his most recent start about him and what seemed a little bit off. And one thing that was highlighted was the fact that his pitches are getting less vertical break than last year. His sinker, his changeup, his slider, his four-seamer, actually that's not the case. But in terms of the pitches that you want to get that late vertical break, those other three pitches, it's about one to two and a half inches in each of those cases compared to last year that they're not dropping as much. And that may sound very little, but I think baseball fans are well aware that the baseball itself is only about four and a half inches. So one to two is a very big difference in terms of the difference between squaring up a ball or like whiffing on it all together. It's just a matter of a couple inches. So those pitches aren't dropping as much as they were did last year, or even as they did in 2021. Like this is something that over the last several years, hasn't been an issue for him. And I think that leads you, if you throw the exact same pitch that you're used to in the same location, but you expect a certain result last year, the those things that may have turned into ground balls last year are now turning into 
occasional barrels against Sandy because he's not getting the vertical drop. Why he wouldn't be getting it, it's really hard to understand um, considering everything that is the same compared to last year for him. That is something that stood out, and I I do wonder exactly how much would get changed if he continues to do so. Another way that manifests itself is simply, if you look at, you mentioned all the fly balls against him, his average launch angle against is about nine degrees. It is by far the highest it's been since 2019. That just, it all wraps together, whereas pitches aren't dropping as much at the last minute, so hitters are having an easier time elevating it. Even though overall Sandy is missing more bats than ever, like his swinging strike rate is up is up from last year or any of his previous years as a starter. It's just that all the other balls, they're not because they're not moving quite the same way that I think he wants them to move. You're getting this very uncharacteristic sample of balls that are in the air and balls that are going out of the ballpark. That was such a big strength of his last year is keeping balls in the ballpark, and now we already have in several cases, seeing examples where um, it's not going his way. And I think a lot of this does tie back to the movement on his pitches. Once again, Marlon's Fishbag, M Fishbag on Twitter, if you want to follow. He was the one that brought that to my attention a few days ago. And going also to what Lewis referenced earlier uh, about third time through the order, that is perhaps the one trait from last year that stuck with people most of all, is that Sandy worked so deep into games. When he was working deep into those games, he was as good as ever, right? Like statistically, he was identical in terms of performance the third time through the order or even the fourth time through the order as he was at the start of the game. If he was able to make it through the start of the game looking sharp, he was able to sustain that and he was able to finish games himself at, on a clip that absolutely nobody else does in Major League Baseball today. Uh, this year, in this small sample, um, it's been such a completely different story. After allowing last year a 638 OPS the third time through the order, being very good, this year that OPS has doubled. He's allowing a 1276 OPS against. He is turning hitters against him into prime Barry Bonds. That's how much they are destroying him once he gets, once they see him a couple times later into the game. And we wonder why that could be. With everything else here, I think we'll just need to see it play out a little bit more. That Twins complete game so far has been the anomaly, where in that game he was if he was pitching as well as ever towards the end of it and is able to complete it himself. But so far, those are kind of my big takeaways, is that his pitches aren't dropping the same way they could, and that's leading to more fly balls. And also that even when he's looking sharp in a couple of these cases, all of a sudden the third time through the order, not as sharp anymore. Uh, I think the one side of relief is that he his velocity is what we're used to seeing, consistently high 90s with his fastball. He's getting that d differential off of it with his changeup and the slider. He looks completely healthy. I think the biceps tendonitis was downplayed as a very tiny issue, and from what we can tell, that seems to be good. So um, as I have for the last few years, I'm going to put a lot of faith in Sandy to troubleshoot whatever issues he's having and get this straightened out. What do you think about, like, just – the pitching as a whole, I mean, like, I think we're going to give like an aerial kind of observation about 26 games in. Where are you with the pitching? Um, I've noted the run differential several times on Twitter. I believe it's like minus 37 now. Like, that's uh, not yeah, they, mean, It's almost like they're trying to like get the run differential as bad as possible. <laughs> they're not, they're not Oakland, but they, they are a third of the way there. And yeah, but from an aerial view about 26 games in maybe a 10th, a 10th or so of the season, where are you? Um, 
with with regards to how they've done. I mean, we talked about it with Cabrera too. He can't throw strikes. I believe there was one point where I saw he had like the second lowest strike percentage of pitchers through their first four starts in the season. It's like you know, there's a myriad of things that you could kind of outline that haven't gone yeah. well. But give me your give me a couple of takes from your end. Yeah, well, the one like uh, unmitigated positive has been Braxton Garrett, who was not even in the rotation to begin with and has been, yeah, uh, yeah pretty, he, even today, uh, unfortunately, as we're recording on Thursday, that was the range short and doubting. I would have loved to see what he looked like the second and third time through. He, he's been a godsend, the fact that he's been able to fill in the way that he has and make sure that uh, for all the questions about hoeing, I think at least if, if Garrett is your number four starter, whatever you want to put it, he's a uh, pretty terrific in that particular role. But I mean, we could just transition to the bullpen itself, considering that was something that has been a bright spot to this point in terms of their results. They're the reason why when the Marlins have had a lead late into games, that lead has with just one exception with Wednesday night being the only exception they have been nails. They have been preserving those leads in that situation. And uh, the, 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 the thing is that the underlying stats of that bullpen, even those are, be, are relatively concerning. What I did is I put together everybody that's pitched in relief for the Marlins this year. And almost every single one of them, we talk a lot about the disparity between ERA and fielder independent pitching. And almost every single reliever that the Marlins have used this year have a lower ERA than than FIP. And that suggests that even though they're getting the job done for now, you can see the regression coming in almost every single case with these guys. Uh, I had more extended thoughts about the bullpen up on the official show. You know, wherever you're listening to this, you can find that episode where I essentially went through all the core relievers and ranked them one way or the other. So ranking Dylan Floro as the number one reliever in this bullpen didn't age all that well when he had that meltdown on Wednesday as a whole, what troubles me is the lack of strikeouts with this entire group. Uh, I mean, how many of these relievers do you really trust to miss bats um, moving forward? And there's really very few of them that you think are going to be great in that particular area. Long-term uh, we saw Tanner Scott last year. That was the only thing he did well. And I think over a larger sample, we expect Tanner Scott to be that type of guy, but he has other issues with controlling the ball that, kind of mitigate anything that he does in that aspect. And with AJ Puck, he has been like, now if you include this most recent series, AJ Puck has been the top dog in this bullpen thus far. It, and yet, if you really dive into it, I think the concept of AJ Puck is sexier than the actual AJ Puck because the, to this point, he's not getting a ton of whiffs either. He's still leading a lot of these plays to the mercy of the Marlins defense. With this bullpen, um, overall, I looked at their batting average on balls in play. As an entire group, it's 245. It is way better, way lower than league average at this point in the season. Um, the fourth lowest in all baseball batting average on balls in play. And that's despite playing in front of a defense that we know is um, a little bit, how should I say, unconventional. Very unconventional defense that we think over a larger sample is going to be Average or probably below average. So you know that number is going to come up and there's going to be more hits allowed. Again, referring back to Wednesday's meltdown, that was kind of the exactly what your worst nightmares are, is that you have somebody like Floro who does the job of getting his weak contact, and yet that weak contact can still get you into trouble. 
Um, when you want, what you love out of relievers is the ability to control everything themselves, to not leave things up to chance or up to their defense. And even though the defense, for the most part, has been okay to this point in the season, um, you can kind of see a cliff coming there just because of the players they have out of position or the ones that don't necessarily have all the skills that you look for at those particular spots. I, I don't see a path for this pitching staff to become great overall unless you have more of these guys that are missing bats and getting strikeouts. And so that, that seems to be, um, with everybody, that that's what you worry about, is that they, uh, yeah, they don't have enough real dominant guys in here to um, sustain, to, to improve, well, to improve on what they're doing. Um, and that, that run differential as things goes on, like this is a team that I think that run differential is a better indicator of who they are right now than the record is. That's, that's the worry is um, that they're not going to win all these one, one games moving forward unless they, um, unless they're striking out more batters. I think it's going to be as simple as that. Lewis, if you want. Yeah. Yeah, and then if you look at the overall body of work, I mean, the ERA is, you know, 437, FIPS is near 4-7, um, you know, as you noted. And as we kind of said, it, they're, they're lucky. Like, Okert's back, which is nice. Maybe he'll, you know, fortify a role the way he has the last couple of years. But then again, the same way you have concerns with Tanner Scott about command, you have it with Stephen Okert because while he misses bats and he's another extreme, he also has a tendency to let the – strike zone kind of get a get away from him and that's even with a guy who doesn't throw all that hard it's surprising i would say sean nolan maybe hurt us a little bit in that regard the other day when he came up and you know was quickly dfa'd after what was a less than stellar marlins debut um that being said yeah like devin smelters in this bullpen like it's just kind of like you know hanger-ons um you have guys trying to reestablish themselves the way that kind of matt barnes is and he looked great for the most part, despite some really ugly stat cast metrics that pitted him as being incredibly lucky. He was probably the poster child for that early in the season with how he was inducing a lot of weak contact, but he was also just not missing enough bats. And then today he couldn't get out of the fifth inning. It's like, you know, a myriad of things that have kind of just went wrong. And listen, like relievers, like their, their years can be made on one or two bad blowups. And then you have, 35, 40-ish, 50 games where you look good. Um, so that's understood. But, yeah, like I feel like this bullpen is just a lot of guys still not sure of who they are in the majors. And you could go down that list, but I think it's just a waste of time to even do that. I mean, I think the safest guy in there is maybe Chagua, and he's hurt. And that's merely on four-inning sample size this year before he suffered an injury. So, you know, what are you going to do? I, I like it. People like I, it was nice for the week when everybody was kind of saying, oh, wow, like this bullpen is great. Like they're very fun. And the whole time I'm reading fan graphs, and I'm like, they're lucky. Like they're incredibly lucky. So I don't know. I it, like it's definitely one of those things that will lead me to think like, yep, like this is not this is gonna be another year where they're just going to be watching posters and baseball from the couch. And, you know, the bullpen is a, is maybe one of the reasons why um, beyond not being able to hit runs, scoring position and starting pitchers not faring well third time through but it's a long season right is there anyone in particular in that bullpen that's gotten really lucky obviously with the larger sample size that'd kind of be taking out guys like ochre castano nolan and guys who pitched like one or two games i mean we can talk about your guys george soriano and that's pretty lucky yeah that debut (laughs) against the diamondbacks you know he had a one two three that was really lucky but 
all those batted balls were 95 plus, I believe. And then, you know, he pit, he looked good in that, that game overall, but then he got hit the other day and you're like, okay, like maybe that's an example of, you know, luck kind of rearing its ugly head and kind of um, things normalizing or, you know, meeting in the middle kind of thing. And he, now he got sent down, but yeah, I mean, that's an example. You could say Barnes got lucky. I mean, if you look at Puck's ERA to expected fit, he's another guy. Like, because Eli, as Eli noted, he doesn't miss bats. Smelter throws 88 to 90. So any piece of hard contact that doesn't get caught from him, I mean, to be fair, he started in a pinks the other day and looked pretty good for innings in Cleveland. Um, even then, but Tanner Scott maybe is just a guy who he stranded a lot of runners early and then kind of just regressed the other day, gave up a couple of home runs and, yeah, so I think now I guess we could go to the stat head segment and I'll let Eli kind of take over this one because he brought up what we what we should do for this one. I think this is only the second time that we've done it. Oh, the previous really? one, oh. It, we were talking about Luis Arise and how he had as many, he was a hit machine, obviously, through his first couple of weeks with the Marlins at a level that we've rarely seen in the franchise's history. Because we've talked a lot of pitching on here, I wanted to finish off with the hitting side. And what troubles me about the hitting side is that there's the star power. It's a lot of uh, big shots and in big holes in this lineup. There are a couple positions where they just do not have anything to, that they're being given from these guys. The biggest holes and issues with this team right now are catcher and third base. On catcher, I know there was a lot of optimism entering this year about Nick Fortes emerging as the main catcher and his resemblances to a former Marlin like JT Real Muto, the guy that could do it all and really take off here in what would have been his first full season as a major leaguer. And on the third base side, as we know, the Marlins went out and they signed Gene Segura, who was typically a middle infielder in the past, but they felt that he is such a safe guy, right? He is a singles machine himself every single year. He got big hits against the Marlins through the years. He still has a lot left in the tank at age 33, and that he'd be their everyday third baseman this year. And so what I've pulled up here is just looking at the splits across the majors, all 30 teams at their weakest positions in terms of OPS that they're getting from those defensive positions. So there are some pretty ugly ones that you guys probably weren't aware of. The, the White Sox at second base getting a 345 OPS from those guys. The Seattle Mariners, they're designated hitters. The Mets catchers, the Mariners second baseman. There's a bunch of Oakland A's on here, as you would expect for people that know how Oakland is pretty egregiously tanking. But one of the very lowest OPSs from any position on any team in baseball is Marlins catchers. So this entering Thursday, it was just a 438, a slash line of 148, 216, 222. Nick Fortes, you remember he hit that home run during the first series of the season, and they have not had a single home run from their catchers ever since. They're striking out at a super high rate. And overall, OPS 438 from their catchers, the sixth worst out of any individual position in all of baseball to this point of the season. You go to third base, you don't have to go down far to find third base, which is mostly Gene Segura, a little dash of John Birdie. A 475 OPS from Marlins third baseman this season. And that one, even more so, is held back from a total lack of isolated power whatsoever. No home runs from their third baseman. Nothing really even close to that. It's funny that 
maybe things are finally starting to turn around from Segura. He was the one that broke up the Spencer Strider no-hitter on Monday. And then here on Thursday, he had a double during that ninth inning rally that ultimately, without Gene Segura, maybe they lose that game. And he, he had a very rare extra base hit for himself. Overall, that has been just a massive disappointment from Segura, somebody that they thought is such a reliable player who's been there, who's done that, who should be relatively slump-proof. And what do you know, as is the case with a lot of new free agent signings, at the very beginning of their time with a new team, they get into a pretty bad slump to this point. The Marlins offense, it's one of the worst in baseball so far this season. And to me, uh, the thing they need to address is getting more offense from positions like catcher and third base. For the near-term future, I don't think you see any roster changes. Like Stallings and Fortes are still going to be your guys behind the plate. Segura is still going to be the main third baseman, especially when Joey Wendell go, gets back and that shifts things around where John Birdie becomes a utility guy. So I think it's going to be the same players. And these players, the three that I specified, they simply need to hit better. And if they do, I think that makes a pretty massive difference on the team because for now, the bottom part of the Marlins order is absolutely killing them on offense. Yeah. I wanted to ask both of you. I mean, Fortes has two minor league options. Maybe time to give him a trip to Triple A, see if he could get his back going. Because at this point, you're not going to send down Stallings, especially with Sandy. And then I guess this is more of an Eli oriented question. Anyone who stands out to you in the minor leagues at the catch position that they should bring up, really nobody in Triple A right now uh, that really stands out. I think we're, we're mainly looking at Double A with either Banfield or, or McIntosh who could go up and you know that they'll find some type of success offensively. And I think the name would be McIntosh here in this case. When we well, talk about offense. Yeah, to answer the second part, I'm preparing a potential article about Austin Allen, that. who is uh, the main catcher at AAA right now, who has not had a hit in about a month. He is 0 for 40 something at the plate. Unfortunately, um, yeah, blowing his potential opportunity to stink in, sneaking as uh, like a, a fill in for Fortes. So I think the, the long story short with the catchers is that um, I think Fortes has a lot of job security, as bad as he is performing. I don't see Paul McIntosh suddenly skipping a level, even for some of the questions about whether he is a catcher at the highest level. And the fact that at AAA, between Austin Allen, Santiago Chavez, you're not going to get much more offense. You might actually somehow get worse offense from them in place of Fortes. I think he has a pretty long leash. Uh, so I do expect it to be the same faces here. And it's more so a question of how it is that they get better results out of them. So they're they're going home right now to Lone Depot Park for a week-long homestand. This is not a ballpark that is uh, – it's not, it's not an easy place for hitters to get back on track, if anything. But I, I do think it's going to be the same faces at these positions for the near-term future, and they simply need to perform that closer to what their track record suggests. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the, I think, you know, we talked earlier about hoeing and how he's kind of there by necessity because there's guys that just aren't ready. And that's kind of what precipitates him being in the big leagues. The Marlins, like I said, wouldn't call up Yuri Perez prematurely. So they have Brian Hoeing, who's got some big league experience. So you may as well just put him in there while he's fresh, et cetera, et cetera, especially building off strong start in AAA. That's the kind of like the same thing with the catchers, like Austin Allen with that prolonged slump, McIntosh, who allowed almost, I believe it was 97 stolen bases last year in the minor leagues and less than 80 games played, like he, you know, he can hit and that would probably be, you know, welcome. But does he play third base? And he's no, he's not a good catcher either. 
by what a lot of the people say. The arm isn't great. So, I mean, like, what are you going to do with him there? Fortes and Stallings, you know, Stallings is almost there now as like a David Ross-like guy because he catches Sandy and, you know, veterans tend to like, you know, the way he calls pitches or whatever. But even then, like, he all he does is hit weak ground balls most of the time. And I believe his ground ball rate is like north of 55% right now. Like, it's bad. He, like, he's almost like a Jeff Mathis minus the ability to strike out. He's an automatic out. I mean, he, you know, who's to say pitchers don't hit anymore when Jake Stallings gets three or four at bats three, four times a week? That's pretty much what it's like. I, I mean, he doesn't have, he hasn't homered this year. Um, yeah, like defensively, it's kind of just the same thing. And like, it's like what happened in 2021 that 2022 is so bad. And now you're just more 2022. And it's like, you know, where are we going to go? Their catching depth is horrendous. And like, you know, as we get closer to June, and the draft rolls around, you start to think, and if you're a Marlins fan, you hope, like, hey, like, maybe we should prioritize drafting a premium catcher in that first round because we don't have one in the minor leagues that looks to be a franchise cornerstone or even a viable big leaguer in the next few years. So I think that's something we ought to focus on. Um, maybe just a thought, but any position player offensive help would be welcome given the way that they've just kind of ever since – Stanton and Nozuna and co left, they've just struggled to score runs at like a ridiculously bad rate. Is there any current catcher in the big leagues that kind of stands out to you, Lewis, that would make a good fit on the Marlins? Obviously, that's realistic to acquire via trade or even free agent. If there's a free agent catcher that may stand out right now, that makes sense. His name is escaping me right now, but the catcher for the Tigers, for uh, Eli probably knows Barnhart. his name. No, but no, Barnhart's with the Cubs now. Um, this oh, he's with the Cubs, yeah, right? Yeah, is Eric Hayes is his name? Is that his name? Haas, yes, Eric Haas. Uh, okay, he is a pretty good offensive catcher, at least for the expectations that you kind of have for the position. That's maybe a guy, and the Tigers rebuild is you know, they're still playing Jonathan Scope, who is far and away the worst hitter in baseball. If you go back the last two, three years, um, maybe if they want to, you know have discussions about trading him maybe, but the Tigers also have a decent amount of pitching. That's kind of like building up in the minor leagues. And some of those guys like Fado and Manning and co have kind of graduated. Casey Mize coming back from Tommy John. So I don't know if they'd want to trade from take from Miami's pitching depth, but again, you can never have too much pitching and Haas is a decent offensive catcher. That's maybe a guy. Um, I love Ty Tyler Stevenson, but the Reds are getting better as we see. And he's a, I think, very close to, if not already, a premium offensive talent, regardless of position, where you would be like, I'd love to have that guy on my roster, and I don't think the Reds are going to for, uh, or even like entertain the idea of trading him. But you know, there's a couple of guys. Catching is just it's it's ever evolving because, you know, with all the expectations that you have behind the plate, with game calling and framing being a big thing nowadays, um, offense kind of takes a backseat. Um, for the Marlins, I think it's taken more than a backseat. It's in, it's beyond hell. It's beyond purgatory. It's a dimension we haven't discovered yeah. yet. So. I do want to remind people that there was a rumor and a pretty substantiated rumor over the offseason that the Marlins were in yeah. on Sean Murphy when Sean mm -hmm. Murphy was on the market from um, yep. Oakland A's, that they were serious about trying to get him, that they foresaw potentially that this was going to be a weakness for them. But they didn't pull the trigger. And it doesn't seem that they really got any close to acquiring another starting caliber catcher this past offseason, I I doubt that the Marlins front office is all that shocked that this tandem has gone off to a, a very slow start. 
So a, it's, a lot of it is, is going to come down to Fortes. I, I, at Stallings at this stage of his career, just looking at the measurables. Um, in his case, we should point out that the early part of the season, he has been crushing the ball, just not quite enough to get over the wall. But there was a portion of time where he was leading this team in barrel rate. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, he never like, seen this, that one. Yeah, this unique type. He like just that, that. This is an exercise where, as much as we appreciate these stats, like sometimes there are some arbitrary lines here, right? With how hard you need to hit to get a barrel, but he's not hitting it quite hard enough to really do damage. This is something that over a larger sample, I don't think he is that type of guy. I do want to shout out that. Like he should be a little bit better than the results that he's getting. And before it says, um, I, I think that's definitely true in Fortes's case that there's enough ability here as a hitter to get better results moving forward. I just want to point out yeah, that this, those positions have really been dragging the team down moving forward, but I think you can be relatively optimistic on both fronts. That's going to get a little bit better moving forward. We talk about comfort a lot. I mean, like guys like playing in certain cities, um, certain positions. Andrew McCutcheon goes back to Pittsburgh after being an average to slightly above average offensive player the last couple of years, and he's hitting again, right? Like, he looks like he is drinking from Ponce de Leon's Fountain Youth. And when Joey Wendell comes back, though, it, like, leads me to believe, like, Segura is a good defensive shortstop. He became an even better def defensive second baseman in the time that he played there. Wendell... Metric defensive metric wise, if you use fielding Bible and every other side that tracks defensive runs saved, is an almost elite defensive third baseman. If he's there, like, do you encourage the idea of maybe like moving the two, like Segura back to more of a natural position, and maybe that awakens something in his bat because there's that added comfort level that maybe can't be measured beyond splits and how they hit when they play a particular position. Um. I yeah, that's the type of line of thinking that I usually I can apply more often to younger players. With Segura, he's been around so long, like, and he's been productive for such an extended period of time that I think he's able to distinguish between that he's able to what's the word I'm looking for be able to separate those compartmentalize the defense from the offense. You hope so. And he yeah. looks good there at times. There are times he plays yeah. third base, and you're like, wow. Like in spring training, particularly, I was very impressed. Yeah, um, exactly. And I was the concerns I had were predicated on the fact that his throwing arm was in the lower end, especially for third baseman, a guy that's the longest throw you have to make as an infielder. That's concerning. He's looked okay there. Um, but I don't know, like maybe there's just part of me that thinks like, like what would happen if you put him at shortstop for a week? Like, would your defense marginally get better? Like, is it something to at least try right now when your pitching staff is definitely succumbing? to the bad defense or at least the defense that isn't even as bad as we originally forecasted it to be like, I don't know. Again, it's a thought experiment. Like you guys have birdie, you guys have birdie that can play it, but Groshans isn't hitting in the minors. LeBlanc is minus walking as much as he is. He's not hitting all that much either. Maybe it's something to think about whether it happens. I don't know. I think skip may be just committed to kind of running out the infield that he is and hoping the Marlins run into a 2022 Philly scenario where their team of DHs or in this case, team of second baseman, Kind of makes its way to the playoffs. We'll see, but I don't know. Like it just, I just, I just think, like park factors in mind. The fact that Miami is just such a pitcher-friendly ballpark, and park factor says it's like a seventy-eight out of a hundred this year. Like it's really bad. Um, maybe that goes up a little bit if those guys are playing positions that they feel to be a little bit more natural to them. But it's just a thought. And the one other player didn't mention, which 
you know, it's probably the most successful of them is Xavier Edwards, but he's playing center field most of the time. So, you know, you kind of start to figure like maybe, maybe just take the risk and put him back at shortstop full time if he's hitting that well. Because he's having a good season in the minor leagues. And unfortunately, Jacob Amaya, who we thought maybe the back could get it going a little bit in AAA, doing time to get his major league call up, he's looked real bad. Just another way to see. He's found more success as of late. I know he had, I think, he had an RBI today. But that's really about it. Xavier Edwards has been the best. And Eli, before we finish, if you want to add it to any of what Lewis said, maybe anything else. I think we can like just solve it right, stop it right there. That's kind of yeah where we're at with this particular team, where shortstop is still a huge question mark for them. It was a question mark entering the year, and as we're speaking, like for the last week, Garrett Hampson has been the Marlins' starting shortstop. Yeah, <laughs> even though there have been some good moments, and Kevin, you put together a great article on Hampson and how he's fitting into the team. The fit is not as a starting shortstop for a period yeah. of time. That is a huge question for them moving forward it's as in this first month it has already been this big uh carousel between wendell and then birdie and then hampson and as you touched on they have several candidates waiting in triple a but not even a single one that you feel super intrigued about um like long term the the one name that were that has been a great story has been yiddy cafe yep. at high a he has been off to an awesome start he in our Fish traps top 30. That's going to come out pretty soon. He is our number one position player in the Marlins mm -hmm. farm system, deservedly so. That's a very enticing option, perhaps as soon as next year, but not for this year, certainly. A weird team. This is a weird team that, as Lewis sums up, just so many second basemen here, and a lot of them playing weird positions, that there's really no way to like put the pieces together in a way that you're totally satisfied with. A lot of work has to be done. If they're going to try to sustain a 500 team this year, I think you're going to see some in-season moves to get that done. And yeah. certainly if they want to be a postseason contending team in the future, there's still some pretty big building blocks away from getting that into being a real possibility for them. Yeah, Lewis, anything else you want to add before we uh, wrap up? Hopefully the uh, Risperdone is uh, prescribed and the schizophrenia that is the instability of this team maybe stabilizes somewhat because it has been entertaining to say the least through the first 26 or so games. I want to ask what's the Pythagorean record? Is that what it's called? Yeah. So it's based predicated on a win loss record. I believe as after today, it's nine and 17. So you want oh. to talk about being lucky at 500. They've won four more games than they should have. There it is. So I think that's where we're going to end it from Eli Lewis, myself, You'll have Daniel back next week hosting Fishology on the Fish on First Podcast Network. Thank you for watching. Peace out and go fish.